Well, good morning. How is everyone? It's hot in here, isn't it? You guys hot? It's too bad because I'm about to bring heat. I'm kidding. I'm going to do it. Are you guys ready for what might be the best intro to a message that I've seen in a long time? Yeah? All right. Let's watch this. Are you guys ready? Okay. What? Yes. Oh, gosh. I felt the wind of that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got my nose. Um, the word paradox. When I hear that word, I think of both and. But there are two things that ultimately are one thing. They're twined together. I think for me, the word paradox is, this is not a right answer. Paradox to me are two extremes that actually operate as one. Sounds to me a lot like two disparate things that are actually connected. I love you. I love you. First thing that comes to mind is a hummingbird. Well, I really didn't know what it meant, to tell you the truth, so I had to look it up. How can that little rascal have that much horsepower in its wings? Wow. I don't know what I could say other than what he's just said. Honestly, I think conflict. Tension. I think about growing up in Marshallville, Georgia. I played in her front yard, and it would be sun shining, but then across the street it would be raining. The first thing, a pair of Dockers. <laughs> Fried ice cream two sides of the track. I think of two ditches that we can fall into. Ferocious peace. None of, none of those fit with what I was thinking. <laughs> two things that seem to be completely opposite, but yet when you look into it, they actually work together. He's big enough to hold the entire galaxies in his hand and everything stays together, yet he's small enough to know me. They complement each other, though it's, they can contradict each other at the same time, and that's difficult for us to understand. And the thing that keeps running through my mind is that in order to live and do what the Lord really wants, to live abundantly, we actually have to die. Paradox to me is jumbo shrimp. A paradox is two ideas or thoughts that seem diametrically opposed in reality, they exist in harmony with one another. Paradox to me is about risk. There's a, there's a, there's a risk to it. It's, what, what are you laughing at? I gotta do this. That's a dog. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus lived a paradox life. He was God on earth in a flesh suit, stuck in that flesh suit out of obedience. And there is no more tension and paradox than that. Everything, he, he is paradox. Walking with him is paradox. Knowing him is paradox. Well, he was the son of man, but the son of God. What? That didn't make any sense in the, in the natural. You have to accept it by faith. That's the way I try to live my life. I feel, I feel like I could just dismiss everybody. We can go to lunch early. Um, but we're not going to do that today. Uh, I work, we work with an amazing bunch of people here. Uh, now, by show of hands, who thinks that today we're talking about paradox? <laughs> Should be most everybody. 
the goal of this series is for us to be together. So I want us to all be together. Now we're talking about paradox. So who thinks we're talking about paradox? Good. We're all together. I think together is a really great word for churches. I've been looking at it recently. Uh, there's a few definitions for it that are all really important. Uh, one of them being that we're in proximity with one another. And so here we are this morning. We're all together. Uh, another one is that even if you're not in proximity, you're doing same things at the same time. And so when we go out of these walls, we're also doing things together, right? We're all part of this movement that's going to overtake Rome. And whether or not we're here together or out there, our goal is to still be together. And that's why we're doing this series, This is Bridgeway, is that we want to have common language, common understanding of who we are, the things that make us us, so that we can be together. So uh, every organization mostly has a mission, vision, values, uh, which are just kind of boring ways to talk about who you are, what you do, why you do the things you do, uh, what your purpose is. And so Bridgeway is not any different. Our mission is that we help people walk in friendship with God. That's what we do. And our values are what we look like while we do that. They're sort of our personality. They're the ideals that we line ourselves up with. They're if you say, hey, who is Bridgeway? Those are the things we would say. They're the texture of who we are. Now, over the last, I don't know, probably six or seven months, the staff as a whole has been on a journey of really defining, redefining, looking at what our core values are. Uh, and now we have, we have new core values, but they're not new core values necessarily because we're still the same people. And so we didn't make a list of things that we want to be. What we did was we stepped back, we looked at who we are, who the Lord's called us to be, the way our body functions, and then we work to define some language so that we can all talk about that, so that we can be together. Uh, so we just watched the video on paradox. Uh, there were some really good definitions of paradox, some really bad ones. Uh, but let's get on the same page. So let's define paradox. And we have a slide for it. So paradox is an absurd or self-contradictory statement that when investigated may prove to be true. Right, so these are things like, I think I just said one, like, let's take a step back. And why do you take a step back? So you can go forward. The more that we learn, the more we understand how little we know. Right? Less is more. Jesus is the lion and the? God is the beginning and the? Right? We're together. It's just so good. Uh, <laughs> And that's the way that, that that's, we're basically looking at two opposing sides of one idea. They seem like they're in opposition to each other, but they actually come and they work together. Uh, and this is, this is the language that we've used for our new core values. We've used the language of paradox to look at two sides of one coin. And that brings up lots of questions, and rightly so. Like, well, how can less be more? Because very obviously, less is less, and more is more. If you want less, do less. If you want more, do more. If you want more, you don't do less, right? How can someone be a leader and a follower? How can weakness be our strength? How can I run in freedom while embracing structure at the same time? And maybe the bigger question is, as hard as those things might be to understand, then who on earth would willingly choose into the tension 
of being in the radical middle of opposing ideas. <laughs> we would. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So now over the next five weeks, we're going to get into each of our core values, what they are, why they're important, how they work in our body. But today, we're going to talk about why we've structured our core values around the idea of paradox, why it's important uh, to live in the middle of two opposing ideas, and what that means for us. Good? Yep. All right, so let's start at the beginning. The beginning is always a good place to start. And in our story, in the beginning, God, right? And God is a lot of things. God is mighty. He is all-powerful. He's just, he's patient, he's kind, he's jealous for me, he grieves for me. He's infinite, but he lives in me. There's a lot of things that God is. God judges, God gives mercy. And a lot of these things of God are actually in opposition to each other when you look at them. Uh, and, that, and that's where it gets messy for us, right? Mercy and judgment. How are both of those come together? And it's hard for us to wrap our head around that. Uh, around that. It's not hard for God to do that. Like in, in God's mind, these are normal, everyday good things. And it's because everything that God does is good, right, and perfect. So God's mercy, wants well, good, right, and perfect. And God's judgment, that's good, right, and perfect too. Now we, we don't do things good, right, and perfect. And that's where the mess comes in. All right, let's watch this other clip. My favorite was the guy with the sunglasses that he turns too fast and the sunglasses fly off his face and then through the art of mimes. It's so bright outside. Okay, it's good. Uh, raise your hands if you ever used a conventional pair of scissors. Should be everybody probably. Right? Conventional scissors are the worst, aren't they? No, they're not. Conventional scissors are fine. I had a friend who, as an adult, he's left-handed, and as an adult, he found out that they make left-handed scissors. And he never knew that. Society let him down in a major way. Um, and I had both the joy and, and sadness, speaking of paradox, of being able to tell him, hey, actually, like scissors are handed, if every pair of scissors you've ever used is wrong, it's because you're using the wrong scissors. Right, infomercials are ridiculous because we're watching people take normal, everyday good things and then struggle their way through how to use it. If you have small children, um, congratulations, you live in an infomercial. <laughs> My wife and I have three small children. 
Uh, and that is every day of our existence because they're amazing, they're incredible, I love them, but they can't do anything. <laughs> All right, getting dressed is hard, putting shoes on is hard, nearly impossible, socks are impossible, um, though shoes and socks can come off without any problem at all, <laughs> right? especially if we're already in the car, ready to go where we're going. Shoes are off, socks are off, and then we have to put them back on, which is like trying to stuff a sausage back in its casing. <laughs> Get him in. Car seats is hard. They can unbuckle them, but they can't buckle them. Uh, it's, really, it's really just a nightmare. And parents aren't immune to it either. So one day, I picked up my oldest um, from school, and he had something on his shirt. And I got close, I was trying to, like, what's on your shirt? And it was his shirt tag. Right, like blowing in the breeze. Because I had sent him to school that morning with his shirt on not only backwards, but inside out. <laughs> the, the struggle is real, right? Now, I don't, I don't bear the full responsibility of that because none of the other adults in his life uh, helped the guy out that day. And so that is shame that we all can bear together. <laughs> but we all have a little bit of infomercial in us, don't we? Especially when it comes to the things of God. We take things that God made that are paradoxical, and to God they're good, and they're right, and they're normal, and they're everyday. And we struggle through them. We struggle to use them. And in our struggle and in our misunderstanding and our misuse, we take normal, everyday good things and we choose one or we'll choose the other or we'll gravitate toward this one or we'll gravitate toward that one or maybe you move away from one if you're a glasses half-empty kind of person or you'll move away from another one Right? We'll value one, we'll devalue another, we'll champion one, but we'll do so at the expense of the other. We'll say, you know, I like mercy's really great. Right? Like it's really great. Way better than judgment. And so we'll move over to mercy. And we grab onto mercy and we hold on to mercy really tight. And when we're doing this, we're forgetting that mercy has another side of its coin called judgment. And what happens now, when we're supposed to be in the middle between mercy and judgment, now we've actually positioned ourselves over here. It's not only are we forgetting everything about God that's this side, we're no longer have the right perspective of mercy either. So we think, we think that we're really choosing life, we're choosing into everything God has for us, but not only have we forgotten this, actually we're doing this one wrong too. And so we end up with nothing. And then we argue about it. We uh, divide. We split. We form other communities. We develop denominations. We make new theologies. Where now we have safe places in community where we can fully embrace or fully ignore the things of God that we don't line up with. Right? So what we're doing, we're taking an absolute God and we're making him relative to us. 
We're taking the all-powerful, ever-present, infinite, all-knowing creator of the universe who lays himself before us, and we say, I'll take this one and that one, and I'll take this, not that. Uh, That was my word last year. This is my word for this year. We'll take that. My wife needs this one. My kids need this one. This porch is too hot. That porch is too cold. This bed is too lumpy. That bed is too hard. And we have our spiritual shopping cart, and we put all the things of God that we want in it, and we say, look, we've made our faith our own. And the problem is when you make your faith your own like that, you're missing out on everything that God has for you. And you know what the biggest thing is that God has for you? Him. And so when you choose either or thinking instead of both and, what we're really missing out on is the fullness of God. All right, let's look at John chapter 13. So I'm going to set the backstory really fast. This is at the Last Supper. <laughs> I said really fast. So Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So this is, this is really a pretty remarkable story. I mean, it's one that we talk about a lot as kids. There's felt bored washing of the feet. But there's really some incredible things happening here. Um, so in this time, they're at the Last Supper. They're dining. Everything is business as usual. Everything's going according to plan. Uh, in this time, the uh, disciples would serve their master, not the other way around. Um, and then Jesus pulls a Jesus, like he does, and he turns everything we know and we understand about him on its head. Um, now, if you ever want to, if you ever want to know how to really go all in to what the Father has for you, uh, just a little aside, you need Revelation on verse three. Can you put that back up? Notice uh, before Jesus empties himself out to everybody. He knew what the Father had given him. He knew who sent him, and he knew where he was going. So he has revelation on that. Now it's an easy thing to humble himself to do whatever the Father needs him to do. And in this case, he's going to humble himself to the lowest of the low. And I mean low. How low? Low. Because the one thing even that a, a disciple wouldn't do in serving their master was tend to their feet. That was for the lowest. Lowest. All right, so reading on in verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So Peter sees what's unfolding, and the wheels start turning. There's some societal norms that are being shattered. There's spiritual norms that are being shattered. Jesus has been their master, their teacher, their Lord. 
And now Jesus is about to become their servant, but not just any servant, the lowest of the lowest of the low, 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 low servant. And so, like most of us, Peter calls shenanigans. And he says, no, this isn't right, Jesus. Like, what are you doing? Jesus explains to him. Jesus calls reverse shenanigans on Peter. Tells him, look, unless you accept all of me, you can't have any of me. You need the parts that make sense to you. You need the parts that don't make sense to you. You need the parts that go against society. You need the parts that go with society. And um, Peter's response is really incredible. I think in this moment, what's going through Peter's mind, he's no longer thinking of Jesus as Lord, Master, Teacher, or Servant. He's looking past all of those to the fullness of who Jesus is. And that's what his focus is on. I mean, that's the same mindset that got Peter out of the boat. And when he walked on water, he wasn't looking at the situation. He wasn't looking at what he knew to be true or understood. All he's looking at is this is where Jesus is, and if this is what I need to do to get to him, that's where I'm going. And I'm going to go hard and fast. And so his response is, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Which is really incredible, because in this, Peter's understanding that the only logical response you can give to a God who says, you need to have all of me, is for us to say, then you get all of me too. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Take the parts of me that I'm comfortable with, the parts that I'm not comfortable with. You can have the parts that I hide. You can have the parts that I'm proud of. You can have the areas of my life where I feel like I've got it all together. And you can have the ones where I feel like I don't have it all together. What Peter's recognizing is that this is an invitation into the fullness of who God is. And it's an invitation that you can't pass up, and it's one that's going to cost us everything. So not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Sounds kind of like friendship, doesn't it? Remember our mission? We help people walk in friendship with God. Right? I get all of you, you get all of me. That's what a friendship is. Our core values, I mean, they're not really even about us. You know, they're about the Father. And it's about us recognizing truth in Scripture, who he is, who we believe him to be, and making a commitment to stand in the radical middle of that. To say we're not going to be ditch people, we're not going to be either or people, but we're going to be people that are chasing after the fullness of who God is. Whether it's uncomfortable, whether it's normal, whether it's scary, whether it's easy. We don't want to make our faith our own the way that we usually do it. We want our faith to be the faith that he has for us. Amen? All right, I'd like to invite Chad back up. We're going to continue the conversation uh, on paradox this morning. When I was younger, 16 years old, I was Baptist, and I had a radical encounter with the Lord in Snowshoe, West Virginia. And the first thing out of my mouth is I told the Lord, I will not go to seminary. Yeah. And, and I meant it with my whole heart. I know this is real. I love you. I'm not going to seminary. 
don't tell God what you're not going to do. <laughs> and so three years ago, the father said, I want you to go to Regent University and get your doctorate. And I said, I, please not. I don't want to. And being there the last couple of years pursuing this is really four-year study on what you just shared. Yeah. Is the father, there's a new move from heaven coming, specifically starting in the West. When the father, when the father from heaven looks down at his church in the West, there's polarities and streams. When a family goes through a divorce, you'll notice in the natural that many kids go with the mom and many kids go with the dad. There's nothing worse than seeing a, a family split up. Well, there was a divorce in the church many years ago. That's what I'm studying between the word and spirit. And in the word and spirit, many of God's kids went to one side and many of God's kids went to the other. And there's a reconciliation happening right now that's very paradoxical because there was never a divorce in the person of Jesus. Jesus is word and spirit. I'm going to be talking about it next week. This conversation is not just a small conversation. It's a very big conversation of what it, would it look like for there to be churches like Bridgeway all over the West and then all over the world that are comfortable with paradox. You can't imagine how many people tell other people to stay away from Bridgeway because of the spirit side of things. Well, that's because humans are drawn to either or. What if Bridgeway was a place that wasn't 50% spirit, 50% word, but 100% spirit, 100% word? What if, yeah. What if we're a template that the Father wants to use to help a lot of other people? all over the world. What if he's raising up leaders to say, can you teach us how to do paradox? All right, so we want to get really real. I want to call probably the funniest person I've ever met in my life and his wife on stage, Doug and Sue Layton, superstars. People think I'm kidding when I say this. Doug's the funniest person I've ever met. Um, Doug and I once went on the same diet. I saw it on Facebook, and my wife said, what are you laughing at? And I said, I've just never met anybody like him. Doug said he would eat an, an almond in the morning, lick an apple, stare naked in the mirror, and scream at himself for an hour and a half. <laughs> Me and Doug led the Bridgeway basketball team to an astounding 2-8 and eight record this year. Um, hey, Sue. So we're, let's just get real with this and get really, really practical. Let's start well, with you and then we go to your bride. Hearing Blake talk this morning, the idea of paradox, so what, who cares in the life of normal people? Why do you think this conversation is so important? Um, just make sure I'm on. Paradox is all throughout the Bible. God is the greatest paradox of all. Um, when you ask us about this, uh, to speak about this, I thought, some of the greatest paradoxes in my life. And one came to mind immediately. Uh, has anybody ever prayed and said, God, I want you to really use me. I want to be used mightily of you. And then all of a sudden, you're thrown into the fire. <laughs> all hell starts breaking loose in your life, and you don't understand what's going on. God, where are you? What's well, God that puts you in the fire? See, God's trying to burn things out of us. God's trying to burn things out of me. And I'm going, what did I do to, what did I do to deserve all this? What did I do to get all, you know, all this trouble and, it's, and, and the Lord gently reminds you, well, you, you prayed for this. I didn't pray for this. I prayed to be mightily used by God. And he said, well, in order for you to be mightily used by God, 
you're going to have to go through the fire and burn all the stuff out. I tell you another thing, and then I'm going to let Sue speak. Uh, another thing that happened, and this is almost the opposite. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people uh, all the time, people say, well, God just can't use me. God can't, uh, you know, I just, I'm not an eloquent speaker, and, and I don't know enough of the Bible, and I don't know this. I can't prophesy. And uh, God reminded me, that's exactly what qualifies you for God to use you. He's, that's a homing beacon. When, when you have humility in your heart and you go, I just, I can't do it my own. God's is good. Now get out of the way and I'll do it. And then, and then what he did, and I'm reminded of what Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said, uh, when he spoke to the Lord, the Lord gave him, it was the passage in the, where he had the thorn in the flesh. And uh, he said that he found that uh, when he was weak, then he was strong. And God even said to him, the Lord even said to him, my, my grace is perfected in your weakness. So if you think that you're too weak or that God can't use you, you are exactly the person that God can use. And that's a great paradox because God says multiple places in the word that he will not share his glory with anybody. And if what God has called you to do isn't impossible, then anybody could do it. But because he's called us to do the impossible, then he'll do it through us and he'll get the glory. That's really good. The Father is big enough to hold the universe in the palm of his hands and small enough to get in Mary's belly. For a normal person who's listening to a 20-minute Blake talk on paradox, why does this matter? Well, I, it's so funny. When he asked us to do this, I had no idea what we were going to talk. I mean, he told us paradox. I was like, uh. um, So in that question, this is, um, he really didn't give us any um, for he didn't like give us any warning or any practice. So um, I immediately went back to something I learned as a teenager, be instant in season and out of season. Um, so that question, I would say, I, it's so funny. I actually go back to John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That such a great big God like that can love us so much to come in human form so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. That is incredible to me. Um, another paradox, we're, we're kind of going, throwing back and forth about paradoxes at home. And one that we thought was kind of funny and it always kind of stumps us, give and it shall be given to you. What? <laughs> like the more you give away, the more you get. What? It's amazing to me. Um, another one, this is a funny story. We actually have um, a trampoline and we had a trampoline and our neighbors were playing with us one day, and um, one little sweet boy, he's very competitive, though. They were playing a game on the trampoline, and he lost, and he was so upset. He was, like, crying, so mad, and our kids said, it's okay, Jack. He who's last should be first. He who's first should be last. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> so we just thought it was funny. Yeah, there's, a, uh, there's another, uh, there's another, uh, there's a whole bunch of things in the Bible about paradox. One of the things that really intrigues me is the story of Jacob. You know, Jacob's very name is swindler and con man. And, uh, and he did everything he could do. He swindled his brother, his father. He swindled his uncle. He swindled everybody. But why did God choose him to birth the nation of Israel? And I, I asked the Lord, I, I said, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Why would you take a person like that? But I feel like the Lord gave me the answer to that. And he said, 
It's because he esteemed the things of God. He esteemed the birthright and the blessing more than his brother did. His brother took it for, he took it for granted. He didn't care anything about it. But Jacob was willing to beg and borrow and steal and do whatever it took to, uh, to secure the, the blessing and the birthright of God because he esteemed it highly. And I'm not saying that God likes you to, to steal, and I'm not saying that God likes you to cheat, but I am saying something uh, that God loves it when you esteem the things of God, when you esteem the things of the Spirit, when you esteem the things of the kingdom higher than the things of earth or the things of flesh. God honors that. And so we now, we don't look back so much at, at Jacob as being the swindler and a con man. We look at him as being the prince. When we, uh, t- this year is the seventh year, of, 70th year of Israel. And we see the star of David. And we think about all the greatness that God has led that nation through. And it happened because one guy thought enough of, of God's ways to, to take them at, at whatever cost. The kingdom suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. First time I ever met Doug, I didn't know who he was. He, was, he had visited City Church. I pointed at him. I said, you got revival all in you. Okay, um, this is not prophetic. This is just a couple of decades of leadership. Here we go. I noticed that typically when someone says, you know, so-and-so who I'm having a relational problem with, it's just so controlling. And I always want to say, brother, we're all controlling to some degree. I went to Beast and Divinity School, went to seminary for four years with Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, uh, charismatics. Here's what I've noticed in a couple of decades since then. We even like to control our own, and Blake, I want you to jump in here too. We like to control our own theology. Because if I can control my theology, it makes me feel safe. Sure. Which is why there's 30 different divisions of charismatic churches, 100 divisions of Pentecostal churches, a certain segment of a Presbyterian church. We really just want something that makes us feel safe and control it. In essence, I think the reason people don't like paradox is we actually want a God we can control. Let me, let me start with you, Blake. Why are so many people drawn to polarities that tend to make us feel safe? What is it about us that we hate both and? Yeah, I think it's, especially when you're looking at like God's, God's qualities, like there's mercy and there's judgment. Well, the way that some of us might express mercy might wound someone else. The way that you express judgment is going to wound someone else. And it's in that wound, I think, that then you withdraw all of a sudden from everything. And you were just looking for, we're looking for a safe place away from harm. Where we're forgetting that God is, I mean, he's good, but he's not safe. And so that fear of the unknown, fear of past experiences, I think all of that drives us away from kind of the radical middle of the two, and makes us go towards safety. We think that there's safe harbor. When really maybe like we're going toward the lighthouse, but who knows what kind of reef is on the way there that we're going to bottom out in. Sue, is there anything that someone can practically do to move away from a theology they can control or a, a, a God they can control? In other words, choosing paradox in many ways is choosing organized chaos, Right. It's like, uh, it's like the closer you get to God, you realize, I'm not so sure I know you at all. It, shouldn't it work another way? Like, I don't know anything. What can someone practically do to step away from fear and control into being open-handed with paradoxical God? 
think in a real practical way is to truly spend time with the Lord. I know we talk about that. You sound so spiritual and you say, oh, just, just be alone with God. And I think that the Lord really wants us to quit just talking about it and actually doing it. And I think that whenever we do that, that's when you can really get real with the Lord and um, just bear your heart to him. And I think you were saying, you're like, what is the deal? Like, why do we have so many different churches and so many different splinters? And I think that for me, I think it's the lack of trust, trust in the Lord and trust in one another. I, I champion around here that everything that the body needs is in the body, that there's that there should be no one doing all the work because I think that the Lord has gifted every single person in here to do what, and you know what it is. Um, some of you don't. Some of you are like, you know, I'm not called to do this. I'm not called to do that. But the Lord has called you to this body, and what this body needs is in this body. But some people just aren't doing that. And I think the reason we're not doing that is because of lack of trust. And so I really think the Lord wants to restore um, trust in him and trust in one another. That's awesome. Doug, would you speak a blessing over this house that we would step into this? Father, you are awesome, and you are wonderful, and you are the prize. Heaven is not the prize. Eternal life is not even the prize. You are the prize. And I speak, Father, and ask on behalf of this church that you will help us to get serious about the things we need to get serious about, to cut away and jettison the things that we need to cut away and jettison. Lord, that you will cause us to start hating the things you hate and to start loving the things that you love and esteem, Lord. And that we would fall at the feet of Jesus and become like him. As he was in the world, so are we. That's our commandment. So, Father, help us to get serious about the work uh, that we're supposed to be doing. We are only able to work during the day. For when night comes, no man can work. Help us to get serious and sober, Lord, to wake up. Because some of us are asleep in the light, Lord. And help us to draw near to the Lord so that he can draw near to us. And that we can... Get humble before God because God resists the proud, but he gives great grace to the humble. Father, bless this body and every body around uh, this country and around this world, Lord. Help us to unite in love and in unity and in the fear of the Lord, Father. We pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give them a hand this morning? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask our parents to go get our kitties, and I'm going to ask prayer servants if you come forward. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you today about anything you're going through. Uh, the band's not going to come back this morning. We're just going to turn some soft music on. You know, take a chance on this. Maybe you need to get out of your chair this morning and get prayer for something you're going through. You might need some wisdom. You might need a healing in your body. You might need a miracle. I'm going to ask our prayer servants to come forward. Let me remind you, if you want to sow into Clemson, the plant, Bridgeway Church at Clemson, you can go online and do that. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what Blake shared. We hand you this series. This is Bridgeway. And we just confess before you, there's no former leadership that's smart enough to do anything. We don't depend on marketing, Father. We don't depend on cliches. We just depend on you. Jesus, we need you. I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, collectively understand who we are over the next five weeks through these core values. We genuinely come before you in your throne room. We want to help 
as many people possible walk in friendship with you. And I'm asking to get everybody on the same page. Holy Spirit, we need your grace on that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.